Hey everybody, this is JD, the associate pastor at Spring Branch, and I just am excited for you to hear a message that I got to hear uh, back in 2010 at the Catalyst Conference. It was a message by Andy Stanley that really impacted my life, and I wanted to pass that information that he shared on to you today. So I hope you enjoy today's message. Well, hey, good morning again, everyone. Uh, for those of you I haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is JD. I'm the associate pastor here on staff. And Michael is away. Our senior pastor is away today. And so he gave me the nod to come up here and speak this morning. So it's my honor to, to give the message this morning. And I'm really pleased to kick off a brand new seven-week series that we're calling Living Forward. And it's all about finding the life that you really want. It's about finding a way to stop drifting through life and kind of just going through the motions and to really start having the life that you've always dreamed of having. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, we all want that. And today, I want to talk to you about a principle that I learned a few years back when I was at a conference. I heard a speaker talk about it, and it just rocked my world. It was an amazing concept that, that stuck with me to this day. In fact, I think about it pretty much every day, at least every time I need to make a major decision. And I wanted to share it with you today because I believe that it affects all of us, no matter what age you are, no matter if you're seven years old or 30 years old or 60 years old or 80 years old, it doesn't really matter. This applies to all of us. Now, what you're going to quickly realize as I get into this message is that I'm not going to share with you some magic trick or tip on how to get the life you want. In fact, if you happen to know any magic tricks or tips, I'd love to hear them after the service is over because I love that kind of stuff. But um, that's not what this service is about. I, I'm not going to go in that direction, but rather my goal is to zone in on something that we probably wouldn't normally associate with when it comes to finding the life that we've always wanted. So here we go. Today, I'd like to talk to you about your appetite. I told you that you weren't going to be expecting that, but that has a lot to do with that marshmallow video that we just saw a little bit ago. It has a lot to do with the song we just heard and the decisions that we make along the way. Specifically, I want to not just talk about our appetites, but I want to talk about your appetite for more. And even more specifically, I want to talk about the tension that is created inside of you and inside of me that is created by these tensions, or excuse me, by these appetites that we experience every single day. Now, whenever I say the word appetite, chances are the first thing that comes to your mind is what? Food, right? You think of food. And it's incredible how strong of an appetite we can have for food. In fact, I could just simply make your mouth water just by talking about a specific food. I think I could probably make you kind of jealous to have something. In fact, I think we should try it. So here we go. Um, have you ever gone to a coffee shop and you walk in and you get that smell of coffee and you go up to the counter and they, and they say, how many would you like? And you say, give me the baker's dozen. And you get it, and they, they put these hot donuts in a flat box, and you take them back home, and everyone's excited, and you got some coffee there. And, and you have to kind of peel them off the bottom of the box because of that, that sugary substance that's, that's there. And you have to lick it off your fingers. You just can't quite help yourself. Have I ruined your morning yet? Or, or how about this? After today's service, um, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to fire up the grill, and I'm going to put some big thick, juicy steaks on the grill. Now, if you're a vegetarian, this one won't apply, but if you aren't, this will work. Thick, 
juicy steaks. And I have a feeling that because of the wind and the breeze, it's going to waft through the entire neighborhood and everyone's going to smell it. And they're going to be so jealous. And whenever I take them off the grill, we're going to cut into those steaks and they're going to be so tender and so juicy. And I think we just might wash them down with some ice cold lemonade. Yeah. Our appetites are strong. Our appetites are powerful things. In fact, the only word that your appetite knows is one word, and that one word is more, is more. The only word in your, in your vocabulary for your appetite is the word more. Now, like I just said, when we first think of the word appetites, instantly the first thing that comes to our mind is food, right? But I know, at least from a man's perspective, there are many appetites. I mean, I could just rattle them off one by one, tons of appetites. For a guy, there's the appetite for food, there's the appetite for sex, there's the appetite for... Okay, so maybe there's just two appetites for the guys. I'm just kidding. We are a big bundle of appetites. We're a big bundle of appetites. I mean, just think about it. I'll rattle some off, and some of these will apply to you more than some of the other ones that I'm going to mention, but we all are full of appetites. The first one is respect, right? Respect. We all have this desire inside of us to be respected. That's why if you're in a relationship with somebody, and you, you kind of feel friction, like you're not being respected, that's because you have an appetite for more respect. Progress. This is a big one if uh, you're a type A personality, right? You love progress. For those of you who aren't type A, maybe progress isn't as big of a deal. But if you are a go-getter, you just can't get enough of progress, man. It, it, it fuels you. It's an adrenaline rush to you. You want more progress. Security. Now, we all desire security at some level. Some of us desire it, for example, uh, through a relationship. Maybe right now you're single, and you have this burning desire inside of you to have uh, at least a dating relationship, maybe a marriage relationship, because you find security in a relationship. Or maybe another example of security might be you find security in your income. And you kind of always find yourself thinking, I wish I had more money than I do right now. And you think of ways that you can make more money, and that's kind of something that constantly goes through your mind. Love and acceptance is another example. We all, to an extent, want to be loved, and some of us will go to incredible lengths to be accepted. In fact, sometimes we'll do stuff that's crazy that we would never normally do just for the sheer fact of being accepted by other people. And the last one is things, and there's many more, but this is just a list, a short list of them. Things, and whenever I say things, I mean stuff. Stuff. We want more stuff. Ladies, not to pick on you, but I think this might be why your shoe collection is so large. You know, you're going through the mall, and you're walking by the store, and you, whoa, hey, look at, look at that. There, there's those Tory Burch sandals I've always wanted. There they are right there. And, and you can't help it. There's this appetite inside of you. We'll call it the force for this in this situation. The force just sticks your hand in your purse and you can't help but fork over the dough to have the new sandals because you just want them because you think they're going to make you happy, right? That's, that's it. You want more. You want more. Now, each one of our appetites, it creates what we're going to call tension. And the reason that every single one of our appetites creates tension, whatever it is, it doesn't matter the appetite, it creates tension in your life because your appetite only has one word in its vocabulary, and that word is 
more. That's right. It's more. Now, I want to tell you three things that are important to understand about our appetites as we look into a scripture that I'm going to explain where this entire story comes from. But before we talk about that story in the scripture, I want to talk about three truths that we can learn about our appetites that are important to understand. The first thing is this. God created them, but sin distorted them. God created them, but sin distorted them. So what that means is, is that your desire to be in an intimate relationship, your desire to make progress, to feel respected, to have achievement, uh, you know, to to be loved and accepted, those are all God-given things. Those are appetites that he put inside of us. All of those things are a thumbprint of God on our lives. If you're in a life group right now, you know what I'm talking about when I say a thumbprint, that he designed you in a specific way that he wants you to live. He's wired you a certain way with certain appetites. But the problem is is that those appetites that God designed and God created, they have been distorted by sin. God created them, but sin distorted them. Think about food is a good example. Obviously, God created us with an appetite for food. I mean, it's a function of who we are. We have to eat in order to survive. That is a a God-given appetite. But the problem is, is that every time you see the dessert tray go by or you smell the aroma of something that you know you shouldn't have, you realize that sin has distorted your view of a God-given appetite. You know, uh, and, that, and that's why, you know, why is it for me at least, whenever I see a dessert, why is it that, that I want more of something that I know I've already had enough of? So that's the first one. God created them, but sin distorted them. The second one, and this is a big one. In fact, if, if you don't remember anything else today, I would say that this would be the one-liner that I would hope that you could remember and walk out of here today remembering this. And that is, the second thing about our appetites are, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. In fact, I want you to repeat that after me uh, just because I think it's important. You ready? On your mark, set, go. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They never go away. Your appetites never go away. There are times where they can subside, but they will never be fully and finally satisfied. In other words, your appetite for more money or more success, your appetite for more respect, your appetite for a higher rank. It doesn't matter what appetite we're talking about. Your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. But see, we are tempted to believe because of the distortion that sin has placed on our appetites, we think that there is something or somebody that's out there that some, some way we're going to receive enough recognition or enough, you know, we're, we're going to have enough achievement or some amount of love. We're, we're, we live as if there's something out there somewhere that is going to fulfill us to the point where we're going to be able to sit back and go, oh, finally, I have enough money. Oh, finally, I'm accepted by enough people. Finally, I've been recognized enough for my accomplishments. It's not true. Why? Because your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied, ever. And the third thing that I want you to understand about our appetites is this. Your appetites always whisper now, never later. They always whisper now, never later. This one doesn't need a whole lot of explanation because um, we get this. We understand what this means. Think about it. Gentlemen, when was the last time you went to a car dealership and the little appetite in, in your mind whispered, wait a year. <laughs> now, 
doesn't do that, does it? No. It wants it when? It wants it right now. It, your appetite wants it now, never later. So here are three truths that we need to understand about our appetites. And the reason why that's important to understand these truths is because our ability or our inability to manage our appetites will determine the direction of our family. It will determine the direction of your future health. Your ability or your inability to manage your appetites will determine your future career and your future life. Your ability or inability to manage our appetites will determine the direction of our future. Which is obviously quite important as we're talking about in this series of living forward and having the life that you've always wanted. It's important for us to understand that our appetites are strong and whether we, can, we have the ability or the inability to manage them is gonna make or break a lot of stuff in our lives. Now, there is a biblical reference where this entire idea of this message is coming from, and, and, and it comes from an Old Testament story in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in chapter 25. Um, that, and you may or may not have heard this story before, but it's a story, and it's only about five verses long, and it's about two brothers, a brother by the name of Jacob and his older brother Esau. And this story illustrates, like no other, the truth about the strength and the power of our appetites. But before we get into that scripture from Genesis 25, what I want to do is I want to explain that there is something at the center that this entire scripture and this story is built around that if you don't understand this, this principle or what this thing is, then the rest of the story won't make sense to you. Because this thing that's in this story in our modern society in America, we don't use these anymore. And it's a thing called a birthright. A birthright. Essentially, in the Eastern Middle Eastern culture, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, the oldest son was given a gift by his father, and it was called a birthright, and it was extraordinarily valuable. And the reason why it was so valuable is because it provided three main things. The first perk of the birthright was money. Okay, just by being the firstborn son, you would receive the birthright, and with the birthright came an inheritance two to three times that of any of the other kids in the family. So just by having the birthright, you would instantly be wealthier than them, especially if you came from a, a wealthy family, and Jacob and Esau did. So this was a big deal for, his, for Esau as the oldest son. The second thing uh, to know about a birthright that came with a birthright is that you became the authority figure in your family. You had power. You got power from, from having the birthright. This was kind of neat for you if there was a dispute in your family because there was no vote, okay? Uh, what would happen is everyone would kind of sit at your feet and they would explain what happened and then you would be the judge and you would make the final determination. There was no conversation about it. You were the authority figure. You were the judge, and the third thing that came from uh, the birthright is in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, there was an association of the birthright with a blessing from God. In, in some way, it was believed that God's hand was somehow on you in a special way because you had the birthright. Now, the oldest brother, they, they couldn't, you know, other than the fact that they, they couldn't take any credit for the fact that they had the birthright, but man, to have the birthright, to be that firstborn son, to have the money and the power and the blessing, whew, it was extraordinarily valuable. So this idea of a birthright is right at the center of this very short story about Jacob 
and Esau. And I want to tell you this story today. It comes from Genesis 25, and here's how the story begins, starting in verse 29. It says, Then, uh, uh, once when Jacob, the younger brother, by the way, once when Jacob, the younger brother, was cooking some stew, Esau, the older brother, came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, his younger brother, Quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. Now, if you aren't familiar with the story, let me tell you a little bit about Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the younger brother, he's kind of a mama's boy, okay? He likes to stay at home. The dude doesn't like to sweat. He just kind of likes to hang out. He likes to cook. He's a thinker, a dreamer. You'll know, notice that he is a little bit of a schemer as well. But then there's, there's Esau, and Esau is the complete opposite. Esau, he's a man's man, okay? He, he's got fire in his eye. He, he loves adventure. He's a go-getter. You know, he's a hunter. His dad is extremely proud of him. So really quickly, let's check out how this story is developing. It says, Esau, the older brother, said to Jacob, his younger brother, quick, let me have some of that stew that you're cooking right there on that stove. I'm famished. Now, how many of you have a sibling? Grew up with a sibling, at least one. Yeah, okay, so you'll likely understand, as I would because I have a younger sibling, that it is very rare, if ever, for the older brother to ever need or want anything from the younger brother. It's always the other way around. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? I have a younger brother. Here's a picture of us. I asked my mom, you know how Troy said uh, old pictures? I asked my mom to send me a couple pictures, and she insisted that I showed you the one in the bathtub. I'm like, thanks, mom. That's great. She's like, do it or you're in trouble. I'm like, okay, fine. So that's me and my brother. We're four years apart, and then that's us when we're older. And um, I, I distinctly remember many, many times where my brother was always wanting what I had, right? He was all, and he always wanted to do what I was doing, and he would say stuff like, J.D., can I ride with you? No. Can I wear your jersey? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? You know, like, hey, hey, can I, can I go and hang out with your friends? You already know the answer. No. You know, and it was like, and it just was over and over and over again. But the other way around very rarely happened. I never wanted anything he had. He was four years younger. He, none of his stuff was cool to me. Uh, so I, 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 didn't, I didn't ever want anything. But older brothers very rarely need anything from younger brothers. But... Every once in a while, once in a blue moon, they actually need something from their younger brother. And if the younger sibling has a brain in their head, they pause for a second and they think, I have power right now. I never have power, okay? Like, he never needs anything from me. Can we just take a moment and just relish this and just, just let me bask in this moment for just, just a second. Because the older brother never needs anything from the younger brother. But the younger sibling says to himself, I'm not just going to give my older brother whatever he wants. I'm going to get something out of it. We're going to negotiate a little bit. You know, I'm going to figure out how I can get something that he has that's very valuable to him that I want. And I'm going to start right there. Well, this is the dynamic that we see in this story between Jacob and Esau. Esau, the older brother, he never needs anything from his younger brother. But now he does. And let's see what the younger brother, Jacob, says to his brother Esau in Genesis 25, verse 31. It says, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Are you kidding me? You want me to sell you my birthright for a bowl of stew? 
That would be like my brother saying to me, I will give you a bowl of stew, but you need to give me your wife and your two kids in their place. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. A bowl of stew for a birthright? You gotta be joking me. Who would ever trade their future for something as invaluable as a bowl of stew? Who would ever trade their future for something as small and as temporary as a bowl of stew? (laughs) Do you wanna know who would trade in their future for a bowl of stew? You would, if it was the right bowl of stew. I would, if it was the right bowl of stew. And there's a tension that this story shows us in these tiny little verses. And this tension is something that you and I will deal with every day for the rest of our lives. Because at some level, every week, if not every week, every month, at least every year, there is going to be something offered to you that is as temporary as a bowl of stew. And if you're not ready for it, you are going to want it now, and you're not going to care about what happens later, and you will actually be tempted to take the deal for a bowl of stew. Next verse, it says, Look, Esau says, I am about to die. Okay, now, if you have any kids in your family, you know, you can just hear the exaggeration in this guy's voice as he says, like, I'm going to die. And at, at which point I'd have been like, dude, you walked into camp on your own power, okay? You might be hungry. You might even be a little bit malnourished, okay? Your blood sugar might have plummeted, but you're not about to die, okay? Don't exaggerate. You know, like, like give me a break here. But Esau says, I am about to die. And then... I want you to listen to what he says next. And this is going to come across what he says next as extreme. But I'm telling you that there is not a person in this auditorium this morning that is immune to what happened to Esau that day. Listen to, to what Esau, the older brother, says to his younger brother. What good is a birthright to me compared to that delicious smelling stew. Now, if I'd have been there that day, I, I, I think I would, if I could have like teleported myself back in time, I think I would have been like, ah, let me just, uh, can, I, can I just tell you a few things, um, just in case you forgot. First of all, uh, you get way more money than him. Uh, second, you, you get to be his judge for the rest of your life. That's kind of cool. And the third thing is, oh yeah, by the way, you get a special extra blessing from God. But other than that, there's really nothing you need to worry about. There's nothing important about it. You know, just go ahead and have that bowl of stew. No, are you kidding me? Esau, I don't even know what to say to you right now, dude. Like, grab a Snickers for all I care. You know, uh, you're not you when you're hungry, okay? So just stop it. Stop it. (laughs) And I think Esau would have said, you've obviously never tasted my brother's stew. It is so good. And besides, compared to this stew, what good is my birthright? I am so hungry. Okay, I just want to take a sidebar from this story about Jacob and Esau, and I want, you to let, want to let you know that there has actually been extensive research done by scientists and psychologists over the years where they wanted to study the effects that our appetites can have on us whenever our appetites are blown out of proportion. 
Believe it or not, there's actually a chemical reaction that occurs inside of our brain. There are two major things that happened, and it happened to Esau that day, but it can also happen to us whenever we have an appetite that gets blown out of proportion. The first thing that happens, this, this chemical reaction, is a thing called impact bias. And impact bias, it takes an appetite and it magnifies it out of proportion. So this is what happens uh, whenever you're exceptionally hungry, um, when you have a desire to be loved or held or respected, it magnifies it out of proportion. That's what impact bias does. So basically what happens is your brain, it lies to you. And what it says is, it says if you go through with this, you're going to, on the pleasure scale, feel about a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. It's going to feel amazing. When in reality, after the appetite is gone, you're going to realize that the feeling that you experienced was only about a 2 or a 3 out of 10 on the pleasure scale. Your, your appetite, literally, because of impact bias, it lies to you. And it tells you that what you're about to experience is going to feel way better than it's actually going to feel. The second thing that happens, that chemical reaction, and this one might be even more impactful than impact bias, is a thing called focalism. Focalism. And focalism focuses our minds on one thing and it blurs everything else out. We focus just on one thing. I want to give an example to the men in the room, um, and this probably also applies to some of the ladies, but I know that this is a major issue for men. One of the reasons um, that you can vividly recall images that maybe you shouldn't have looked at whenever you were a kid, or maybe it was last month or last year, or it could have been 10 years ago, the reason that you can vividly recall an image that happened forever ago is because focalism kicked in. And it focuses our minds on one thing. And so I could ask you to remember that day when you saw that image, that video, and you could vividly recall it because of focalism. And the truth is, is that there were many other sights and smells and senses that could have drawn your attention away from that, but because focalism kicked in, it blurred everything else out. And it's been laser focused and it's, it's been ingrained in your mind and it's next to impossible to forget. So this chemical reaction that occurs between impact bias and focalism, this, these two things happen within the mind of Esau as he's looking at this delicious bowl of stew because he had a larger than life appetite. So he thought to himself, and it makes sense now when you hear it, he thought to himself, who needs a birthright when I can have this bowl of stew? Impact bias and focalism kicked in. It, it just made sense to him in a way that he couldn't even focus on anything else. It was so important to him. So here's what happens after Esau does the stupidest thing he could have done, which is he commits to giving up his birthright. Here's what his brother said. But Jacob, not being, uh, being kind of a, a smart guy, he said, swear to me first. So Esau swore an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. Wow. He fell for it. He did it. <laughs> now, it would have been at this point, I don't, I don't feel like the deal would have been done until Esau would have taken that first bite of the stew, even though he signed it over or whatever. You know, probably it was something like that, that he signed over his birthright to his brother. But I wish I could have teleported myself back to that situation. I wish I could have stopped Esau before he put that first spoonful in his mouth. And I wish I could have said, Esau, I know you don't know me. This is kind of weird, but I, I, I come in peace, okay? And, and, I, and I promise you, I'm here to help you. But I'm from a land far, far away, and I'm from the future. And I've actually had the unique opportunity 
to see what's going to happen in your life. And I really think you're going to want to hear about it because it's really pretty big. The first thing is, is you're going to have 12 sons. You're going to have a big family. And those 12 sons, they are going to have enormous, enormous families, okay? And eventually they're going to become their own little nation. And then something terrible is going to happen. The Egyptians are going to conquer them and they are going to call them into slavery. And for 400 years, your grandkids and their grandkids and so on and so forth, they are going to be in slavery for 400 years and it's going to be terrible. But during that time, your people are going to call out to God and he's actually going to listen to them. (laughs) And this is where it gets really cool because God is going to raise up a leader. His name is Moses. And again, we don't have time to get into the details, but sometime maybe in the future, whenever you're not so hungry, you'll want to hear that story too. It's a really cool story. But he's going to raise up this leader named Moses. And God is going to reveal himself to Moses. And not only is God going to reveal himself to Moses, he's actually going to introduce himself to Moses. And before you take that bite of stew, put the, put the spoon down, put it, put it down. Before you take a bite, let me tell you how God is going to introduce himself to Moses. He's going to say something along the lines of, Moses, how you doing? I'm God. It's nice to meet you. But to be a little bit more specific, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You, Esau. Now, I know you're hungry, but if you take a bite of that stew, the last name that came out of God's mouth is going to disappear forever. He's no longer going to mention your name. You think you're jealous of what your brother has right now in that stew? You think you want what he has right now? If you take a bite of that stew, the words that came out of the mouth of God are literally going to change to I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your little brother, if you give up your birthright for that bowl of stew. But, If you can hold out, the story gets even better. Do you you have a minute? I know you're super hungry. I'll try and make this quick. 2,000 years after this happens, God is going to do something even bigger, and it's going to include you in it. What he's going to do is he's not just going to deliver an entire nation. He's going to send his son. His name's Jesus. He's going to send him to earth, and he is going to deliver the entire world world. And it's going to be huge. And by the way, it's going to hit Jesus. The Son of God is going to come through your lineage, which is really cool, but that's not even the best part. During his time on earth, while Jesus is here doing his ministry, saving the world, he's going to have these guys that follow him around called his disciples. And one of his disciples is named Matthew. And Matthew is going to write down his account of what happened during the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth. And he's going to write it in a thing called the Bible, which is God's word written down in writing. It's going to be the best-selling book of all time. So many people, not everyone, but many, many people are going to have a copy of this book. It's going to be huge. And I just need to tell you how Matthew is going to begin his story about Jesus. He's going to say something like, this is the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now Esau, check this out. Jesus is a descendant of David and Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Esau. 
you. I know you're hungry, but are you sure you want to take a bite of that stew right now? Are you absolutely sure? Esau, I would suggest to you that it would literally be better for you to die of starvation than for you to take a bite of that stew right now. But of course, neither you nor I was there that day to talk sense into Esau. And the truth is, is that there's not going to be anybody standing next to you, coaching you along when someone offers you a temporary bowl of stew. There's not going to be anybody there to help you reframe your appetite when it comes at you like a freight train. So here's how the story ends. It says, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau gave up his birthright. And the tragedy of this story is that in just a few minutes, the stew was gone. Along with the legacy of Esau. Now my friends, here's the deal. This tension in dealing with our appetites, it's never ever going to go away. Why? Because our appetites are what? Never fully and finally satisfied. So let me ask you this today. What is your bowl of stew? What is your bowl of stew? What is, what is the thing right now that if it was held out in front of you in the right moment, you would actually consider saying yes to that bowl of stew? What is, what is the appetite or the appetites in, inside of you that are so strong that have been distorted by sin that you would actually consider trading in a part of your future for a bowl of stew? What is your bowl of stew? For you, is your bowl of stew an emotional relationship with somebody that you're not married to? You're married, but you're not married to them. And you're just having fun. It's fun just to play, and it's fun to dream. Is your bowl of stew a website that you visit when you're lonely? Is your bowl of stew a career opportunity that you have right now that's going to wreck your family later? Is it found in a bottle? Or is it found in an illegal drug? Is your bowl of stew, whenever you're, you find yourself in a certain situation with a certain group of people, and for whatever reason, they just bring something out on you that, that, that makes you lose your ability to function and, and follow your f current values because you just want love and acceptance or respect from that group of people. Is that your bowl of stew? Is it whenever you're filing your income taxes and you just want to cut a few corners because no one's going to care and no one's going to know and it's going to save you a few bucks if you do? Is your bowl of stew a particular store or bar or casino? What is your bowl of stew? Is your bowl of stew to verbally explode on your family or your friends or your employees because you like to, to, to show them who's really in charge, who really has the power in the relationship? Is your bowl of stew 
not going to see a doctor when you know you should, you know there's something wrong, but you don't want to go because your bowl of stew is to have an appetite for more control. And so you won't go see the doctor. What is your bowl of stew? And the reason I ask that is because knowing what your appetite is, what your bowl of stew is, it's half the battle. Identifying what it is is half the battle, but then the other half of the battle is then being able to develop the habit of reframing your appetite within the context of what God wants to do in and through your life. How God wants to use you in the future when it comes to your family and your kids and your health and your career and a million other things. How does God want to use you? Because what's true of Esau is also true of me and it's true of you. You have no idea what God wants to accomplish through your life. You have no idea what God wants to accomplish through your kids' lives. We have no idea what God wants to accomplish through our grandkids' lives. We have no idea what God wants to accomplish in and through you. So the answer, whenever our appetites come on strong and they're blown out of proportion, is one thing, and that is reframe, then refrain. Reframe it, then refrain from it. Reframe it within the context of who is it that God wants you to become. What do you think God wants to do through you? What do you think he wants to do in and through your life? And then whenever that appetite comes on strong and you know it's coming because appetites are never fully and finally satisfied, they're always going to say now, never later. Whenever it comes on strong, you refrain from it and from that temptation, because you've reframed it within the context of what God wants you to do and who he wants you to become. And the reason it's important to think about it ahead of time is because just like Esau, there's not going to be anybody standing next to you whispering in your ear whenever your appetite comes on strong. And that's why it's so important for us to be proactive about thinking about our appetites so that whenever they do come on strong, we can refrain from that temptation. So please, whatever you do, please don't give up a part of your future for a bowl of stew. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here today and I pray that you would challenge us through this story in the Old Testament about two brothers. That it's a simple story about a bowl of stew, but the implications that a bowl of stew can have on our lives can be incredible. Lord, someday we're going to be older than we are today, and we want to look back, and we want to say, you know what, I reframed what I did within the context of who you wanted me to become, Lord. And then I refrain from those temptations that were blown out of proportion and were distorted because of sin. I thank you, Lord, that you helped me do that. But God, at the same time, I know that there are many of us in here that could look in the mirror and say, you have no idea how many bowls of stew I have taken and given up a part of my future for. But Lord, I know that you are a God of second chances and that you love us so much and you are willing to help us work through those, even though there are consequences. You are willing to love us enough and walk through this life with us to get back on track and be right with you. And that when we ask for forgiveness from you, you say that our sins are as far as the east is from the west. 
you forget them. They are no more. They are wiped completely clean because of what your son, Jesus, did on the cross, dying for us and taking our sins and then coming back to life so that we could one day live with you forever. Lord, help us to avoid those bowls of stew. I thank you, Father, and it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, amen.